0: Hello and welcome back to Bleeding Blue, podcast listeners. You get a custom intro this week since I'm not even done editing the video yet. It is two thirty in the morning, and I'm up and I'm grinding for you. So, hello. Glad you're listening to Bleeding Blue. This week we're talking with Big Blue VCR. If you don't know who Big Blue VCR is, you gotta get to know who Big Blue VCR is. You can follow him at Twitter at Big Blue VCR. Um, I don't think he's on any of the platforms, so guess what? You gotta get on Twitter. VCR. he is an encyclopedia of Giants history. If you like what we do, you're gonna like what he does even more. If you believe encyclopedias can also be like endless amount of game film and television broadcast, well then guess what? Big Blue VCR is 100% an encyclopedia of Giants history. He's tracked and he has a hard drive of Giants games going back to all the way to like, I think like the, the 70s and the 80s, so you, you can relive the glory days if you're an older fan and And also, he shares some of the newer stuff, too. He has everything. So, Big Blue VCR, we're going to be talking with him this week, this episode, even a little bit next week, too. So, stay tuned for that even next week. So, keep on leading, blue. Enjoy the interview with Big Blue VCR. All right, welcome back to Bleeding Blue. We want to welcome on a very, very special guest, uh, a guest who uh, we've wanted to have on for a, a long time, but somebody who recently during draft season, I was kind of shocked and very thankful that he reached out to me and he reached out to us during one of our draft streams. And I briefly mentioned Bleeding Blue as a Giants history show. And honestly, in my opinion, the, the most and the best Giants history account out there, Big Blue VCR at Big Blue VCR on Twitter. You're here. You're joining us now. Here's my first question: I want to ask you, how are you? But also, is this your first like podcast interview where you've been on and you're talking and you know you're you're kind of uh, sharing some thoughts of Giants history with another show?
1: Uh, well, yeah, Justin, nice to uh, nice to meet you. Happy to be here with Snacks as well. Um, and the answer is yes, this is my maiden voyage yes. um, on any type of podcast or interview. Uh, Haven't? Yeah, no. This this is the, this is the first one that I've been uh, invited to.
0: No, and your your rise has been so unique as an account that kind of shocks me, um. Because pretty much from from day one, and I was telling you this a little bit before the show, I, ha- I have a feeling you know you're not doing this for for the followers. You're doing this because I think you have a love for this great franchise. You have a love for this great football team that still is and its great history, um. And you have so much like, you have so much stored. Uh, That you're willing to share with everyone, which is awesome, and have everybody relive, especially some of the older fans, relive like a lot of the glory days and a lot of the great moments, and even some of the bad moments of this franchise too, which snacks will talk about. Um, But talk to us about like why did you want to get this account started, this Big Blue VCR account started? Um, You know where, why in the world were you keeping track of, you know, years and decades of Giants games, and uh, how in the world did you uh, get to turn to Twitter to put all this out?
1: I right, know that's, that's a, that's a great question. And it's a type of thing where I, 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 and I would agree with you. It's not something that I do for, you know, like to, to create followers or buzz. It's kind of, it's very much like what you see is what you get. It's, um, you know, something that I call a passion project, something that I do just, you know, it's something that I, I enjoy and I, and, and I'm the type of person that if I see somebody else wearing like a giant hat or giant shirt, I immediately like that person. And I'm like, Oh, like, you know, you're good. Like, you know, you're, you're on, you're on the good side of the law over here. Um, and I created the Twitter account years ago and I actually created a blog like back in the mid two thousand, about like 2015, something like that. And um, I went, I was just reviewing old giant games and I got into like a lot of, you know, uh, uh, detail on like what the games were. And my, my thought was, what if I go and I do like a really in-depth review of games and look at it from like a historical perspective and say, you know, this is the game that, you know, uh, you know, Phil Sims threw three touchdowns and comparatively here's like, you know, how many that Kerry Collins through, how many Eli Manning through and tried to do some type of just like, you know, uh, re- review and looking back and see what that means. And it really was nothing more than I said, like, like a passion project. And I would post, you know, some like links on Twitter about it. And it didn't really go too far, but it was fine. It was just something that I was doing where, and you know, I'm a season ticket holder and every now and then I would, I would post stuff. Um, there is one part of it that actually I became Twitter famous for about two seconds was the was the Daniel Jones draft. And the reason for that is if you go back and you look at the day Daniel Jones was drafted, um, I go to the Giants draft party every year because the season ticket holder. And I normally meet a couple of friends of mine to go to the draft, but they couldn't go that day. So I just went with with another friend, and what they asked me to do is, said, is, is they're like, "Hey, can you record the pick for us? And just mm-hmm. what look what the stadium looks like." So I did, and I went and you know was so sitting like in the little overhang because it was it was kind of drizzly like that day. It was a little cold and drizzly that day uh, for the draft. And when um, Goodell announced Daniel Jones, I said, "Oh no." <laughs> Put the camera down and pick back up. And they had like, you know, all of these, you know, like you see the people like, you know, like in shock in giant stadium. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of tweeted that I sent it to my friends and I just tweeted it out. um And uh, uh you know, there, there's another like, you know, webs long, longstanding website, um, the big blue interactive, which has been around forever on the yep. internet. So I sent it to the, the big blue interactive guys and it got picked up by like Mike Garofalo and it got picked up by uh, um, you know, bar stool and it got almost a million views and my phone's going crazy. And I was just like, Oh, what is this? And I actually felt horrible the day that it happened because I'm just some idiot in the stands doing this thing. This is Daniel Jones, like, you know, biggest moment of his life. And, and then I felt terrible that like, you know, did I do something to kind of get him off on the wrong foot? Like, you know, here's giant fans hating Daniel Jones. Second, you know, he hasn't even he hasn't even worn the uniform yet. And everyone's angry about this, about this pick. So I actually wrote a blog post about it, almost like, you know, explaining like, you know, how this thing happened, what I, you know, what I was doing and the real story behind my, my own oh, no. And scream was I actually wanted the giants to draft the defensive player. I'm yep. Old as a Giants fan. I wanted a defensive player. I, you know, like everyone else, I'm like, Oh, Daniel Jones will be there. Pick 17. So when we started hearing pick six, I'm like, that seems a little bit of a reach for this. And I shouted over to my friend who's sitting next to me at the time. I'm like, I really hope it's not Daniel Jones because we can get him later. And then and that's when I recorded. And then you hear me yell, oh, no. So um, and then I went and I actually that night found the clips of Phil Sims draft when he was drafted. And everyone was like, you know, you have you have Pete Rozelle on the smoky podium. And he's, <laughs> uh, you know, and that's and Phil Sims and you hear the people like, like yelling and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I posted a, you know, a comparative thing and I, and I said, you know what, like, you know, for Daniel Jones, I really hope that, you know, he can look back at this and have the same success Phil Sims has because I'm a Giants fan. First and foremost, I don't root against the players in the team. Once you're wearing Giants blue, I'm rooting for you and I want you to do well. So I hope that you do well. So that one post, you know, it, it, you know, like I said, I was getting all these weird alerts. I was getting asked, like, can we show your video in like in Japan and stuff? And I, I was like, yeah, okay. Um, my, after that, my, you know, my Twitter account was pretty kind of dormant for a while, just was tweeting thoughts now. And then what really kind of supercharged it, I guess, if that's the word you want to use was during the pandemic. Um, I was, you know, home, going home and, I had, I have, you know, all these hard drives with all these old giant games on them and being able to work from home, having access to all my files right there, I was like, yeah, you know, it'd be kind of cool. What if I just start doing, you know, cut up some of these clips and I wanted to focus on the games that were not easily findable. Like, you know, every, you know, you can buy the DVD sets for, you know, like the, the games from, you know, the 86 playoff run and 90 and, you know, 2007, 2011 I'm like, what if I go and I find these regular season games that a lot of people don't have? And I start posting those and those clips. And I think the fact that there was no sports going on for that period and people had like nothing to do. And like, you know, like you're, uh, you're looking for anything that's a distraction that distraction plus nostalgia, plus everyone's stuck at home, kind of gravitated people to, uh, my account. And from there, I started getting feedback from people like, like overwhelmingly positive, like, you know, Twitter can be an interesting place, but for the most part, I have to say that like, I've had nothing but a good experience. People are, you know, I try to be respectful in my posts. I I don't, you know, try to like, you know, call out players. I mean, every now and then, you know, like, you know, if I have a, an Eagle highlight or something, I can't help it, but you know, I try to be positive when I'm doing it and it just is kind of like, snacks.
0: you should take some notes. Yeah.
1: stop yeah and it just it just it just built up from there and you know a number of like the media started following um you know like you know like carl banks members of the giants started like following what's going on and
2: it really has kind of taken off from there see to me that it's an unbelievable rise from just a hobby that you wanted and and your passion for it and it's amazing to me it really is because you know as, as a giant fan like myself i'm i'm a very sane giant fan so it's it's you know casual and and <laughs> realistic giants fan that i am but i appreciate what are you laughing at justin
0: uh, nothing keep going you're doing
2: good yeah so i pre- i always i have alerts on for your tweets and this week was a little different and i need to know i'm going to take my glasses off cuz i'm pissed um I need to know what went what went into your mind this week and last week to decide it was pain week for all of us Giants fans who have, in my opinion, felt pretty good about the offseason and the season moving forward. And you just decided with your platform, as good as it is, and like I said, I am fully respectful of everything you did and what you built and the the guys, the, the players and athletes you interacted with. But out of blue, you just you just think it's okay to come out and and give us pain during Pain Week. So, if you don't mind me asking, did you run out of good clips, or was it just <laughs> you wanted to torture others because maybe you had a bad week? Maybe and also knowing
0: Twitter and knowing Twitter, you and good for your base if you didn't. But you had to lose some followers because I know Twitter and I know people and people will unfollow you if even like if you're posting, if you're posting too much negativity and everything like that. So so pain week, what was the thought process in that and how many followers did you lose?
1: Okay, Um, believe it or not, (laughs) I actually gained followers Ugh. during pain. Week, Wow. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's how good you Unbelievable. are. Unbelievable! That's how good you are. Um, And, 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 you know, like it, it was, you know, uh, it was, you know, I gained another, like, you know, a couple hundred here and there during, and I, I thought the same thing. I'm like, wow, I'm really going to piss a bunch of people off with this one. But, you know, I tried to at least explain as much as I could for like what, you know, what was going on and to kind of describe it um, last year when I, you know, when things were picking up, especially over the summer, a couple of times I, I opened up the floor to you know, any of the followers i was like hey I was like it's, it's request week what do you guys want to see and if i have it I'll, I'll show it and i did that and a lot of the stuff obviously people want to see the good things a few people wanted to see bad stuff um and i have to say that when i first started doing this and th- by this i mean having old giant tapes I used to tape over the losses. I didn't want to keep them. I didn't want to see that again. Like, you know, I, like, like this was a nightmare, you know, I, like, you know, back in the eighties, there's no internet. Like, you know, you're, you, you had limited ability to sort of watch this stuff. Maybe ESPN had sports center now and then. So all you had was basically, you know, your VH, VHS tapes and going back and watching it. So I would tape over them all where I could over time, as I started collecting games, I'm like, you know what, like, I'll just start taking even the losses and, and, and just have it. And just so I have it for whatever, you know, maybe one day I want to look back or there's something good that happened in a game and a loss that, you know, now that enough time has passed, I can watch it. Um, one of the, one of my followers, um, Mark Zinio, um, he asked me last year and he goes, he said, Hey, would you do something and start showing, you know, some of like the more like, you know, awful painful clips like flipper and, you know, uh, the Miracle of the Meadowlands and Deshaun and all that stuff. And I first was like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and then and then he asked again, but he asked again. And I was like, you know what? I, I sort of relented. I was like, you know, I'll do it in the offseason. And it's one of those things where, you, you know, I said it back in, I don't know, sometime in uh, last August. And as minicamp was finishing up, I was like, you know what? what the hell like now's the time it's better so i'm gonna try to actually make this a spin that minicamp is ending i am going to show the bad stuff that you're looking for i'm going to have a spin on it instead though that let's get all the bad karma out of the way we're gonna get all the bad juju out of the way so let's put it all out there into the universe and you basically cleanse ourselves as giant fans getting ready for 2021 so we make the playoffs And when I started doing this, I looked back at, you know, the obvious games, you know, like, you know, Flipper and all that stuff. And I found a bunch of games that were like older that were, you know, horrible losses and, you know, like plenty of Eagle stuff in there, you know, but other ones. I was like, you know, wow, I remember this game like that totally sucked. And this totally sucked. And it started snowballing and one week turned into two. So, uh, that, that's, that, that's the, the, that's how pain week came about, but it's about to be over and, uh, we're going to have like a little ceremony when this thing is done and get ready for uh, a division championship. So I'm, I'm hoping that this is the uh, thing that kind of clears the path for the giants. We had to get, we got to get the, got to get rid of the bad ghosts that that's my
2: goal. I, and you know what, I, I'm very appreciative of you trying to emphasize your power in you know, with the videos of all the pain that we've suffered through over the years, um, I respect it. And I truly believe that the Giants go one in 16 this year. So I will always <laughs> look back on pain week and from Big Blue VCR and blame you mm-hmm. now that I have a scapegoat. That's about as good a thing you ever could have done for me. Um, no, but it, that that's that's actually a, a great, uh, great origin for it. And. It is good. Like we're a Giants history podcast and you are Giants history. So this is a very good dynamic and the losses that hurt the most, those victories that we all love that you post that we talk about make them even sweeter. So it it is very appreciative. We haven't spent a single second on the fact that you clearly are a big Giants fan. And, (laughs) you know, we all have, we all have our story as to, how we became a giant fan, why we're a giant fan. But t- can you tell us how your fandom came about? Like what makes you the giant fan you are? Was it a family member? Was it an experience? Anything that you could kind of provide to just to, to shed light on on the fandom that you have for, for Big Blue? Sure, yeah. Um, well, the first thing is it, like most giant fans, and I live in Northern
1: New Jersey, which tends to be Giants country. Um, giant tickets have been in my family since Yankee Stadium, so oh, wow, that's the type of wow. thing where it's like you know, traditional, like you know, you, you got know, no
2: choice, yeah, you have no choice.
1: Like, you, you don't, you know, you leave the family or you're a giant fan, and it's, <laughs> um, you know, like it's you know, Yankee fan, giant fan. That's that's the kind of how you know I, I was raised. Um, but the thing that that you know, so there's never a choice, but the thing that actually added the cherry on top was the fact that, um, I went to the same high school. That Bill Parcells went to. And I note that in my, tu- in my little Twitter handle, I have like a little bit of like a wise ass thing where I say home oh, of Dwayne Parcells because his first name is actually Dwayne. And uh, Bill Parcells uh, went to Riverdale, which is where I went in, in, uh, uh, in Orondale, New Jersey. And um, his brother actually was the head of Oradell Recreation. And when I was a kid back in the 80s, my famous story and his brother, uh, Doug, um, Doug Parcells. And he he sadly he passed away a couple of years ago or a year ago. Um, uh, Doug oversaw all of Ordell Rec. And everyone obviously is big giant fans because you're around him and in town. And the famous story I have was when I was in Little League in like 82, 83, something like that. um, uh, Doug Parcells was umpiring the game. And, you know, his brother Bill is the coach of the Giants at the time. And I remember like getting a walk. And I remember somebody saying, once you walk, just go straight to second base and dare him to throw you out. So I, I tried that and I went and I did it and I go to second base and Doug Parcells tells me to go back. And I'm like, no, these guys didn't know to throw me out. That's their problem. And being a Yankee fan at the time, um, Billy Martin was the manager for like the 80th time of the Yankees. Cause at the mm-hmm. time George Steinberg kept firing and bringing back. And his big thing was, was kicking dirt. So I got a little hot and I started kicking dirt, like all over like second base. And, uh, Doug Parcells ran me from the game, um, from a little league game. And I remember seeing my parents in the stand, just like staring at me, like you dumbass. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but the, but the point being that, um, Grow up in my town, like, you know, where, where, you know, Parcells used to eat at a a restaurant called Hagler's, which is an Ordel all the time. And he had a special table in the back. So I grew up basically not only around from the Giants fans of of just my family, but with Bill Parcells and everything he was about right in my town with his family, like in my town and was always around. Because back then in the 80s, a lot of these Giants were all over kind of like Bergen County. Like that's just sort of like where they were. And, And growing up there, you were just around it. And, you know, I, I was growing up at a time when the giants were, you know, like hot, like, you know, when I'm, I'm 10 years old is 84. And that's when you really start to kind of, you know, clinch on your team. And that's when the giants started their run. So kind of like all the moons aligned that I was going to be a giant fan.
0: Snacks isn't Ordell like right down the road from where you live.
2: Yeah. I was almost, I was almost going to say to, to our, to our friend, big blue VCR right here, uh, Coach Parcells, his brother used to umpire and referee all my games too. I, uh, I grew up in Emerson. <laughs> okay. Yep.
1: Yep. Right next door. So, yep. Town over right next lucky, door. Sh- lucky I, know, strike I, I,
2: I was trying to hold, I was trying to hold my, I was trying to hold my tongue or bite my tongue the whole time because everything he said was exactly what I know. And, um, it, it's great. He legit, he was a tall guy too. Yep. And he was, he, he was a very, very nice, sweet, gentle, respectful guy. This is, bill's brother justin and he, he was a great ref great umpire great everything and um you know we never got to play Ordell because they had a, a lot more kids in their high school than us but the the Oradell field over there is named after parcels's brothers and yeah
1: yeah it's the yep. the the, the, the d-pack the doug Parcells athletic complex yes yeah that's right by it's, the swim it's club gorgeous yeah yep. yep, right by the swim club over there so yeah i know i know it very well
0: so it sounds like two brothers are quite they're little different from each other character
1: wise uh no they, they, they i mean doug i mean i've never met bill well i guess i probably i probably have at some point we just the type of thing I mean, passing, uh, haven't but, we have
0: we all haven't we all met yeah. bill in one way or another yeah. in, <laughs> in, way some have, much, in some capacity how much how much we know how much we know about him and how much we know about the team at this point so but uh, their, their voice seems sounded, like
1: it yeah, yeah their voices sounded very similar like if you uh. heard doug Parcells talk like his voice that 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 you can't even, you know, describe like the way Bill Parcells' voice sounds, but you know it when you hear it. Like Doug was the same way. Like he had that, that same kind of tone to his voice. Um, So yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it, he had the same sort of like, you know, wise guy personality. Like you're, you're growing up in Northern New Jersey. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you can't take yourself too seriously. Otherwise someone's going to take you down. So he was,
2: he was the same way. Oh. well, <laughs> it, it, it is funny that, that uh, Bill Parcells' brother was probably the only referee slash umpire that my father never tried to like berate. So that's <laughs> the when we were playing in Little League. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and listen, listen, Big Blue VCR. If you're still around North Jersey, beers on me. All right, I I, I could probably take
1: you up on that. Like I so said, when the season start, I got my season tickets, so I'm gonna be there. Um, you know, coming, I'll I'll be there coming this you know for the games. Uh, and and that's the other thing we can talk about is is the season tickets have been my family. I started going to games in 87. So actually I missed oh, wow. the, I, I missed the 86 run. And in hindsight, I understand why because my cousins went to the games. And to be fair to them, they had sat through all the crap in the 70s and everything before that. So when they're in that run, to like, look, you're you know, you're 12 years old. I know you love the Giants, all this stuff, but we've we've bled and died and sat out here for some. We deserve this. We deserve this. Like we sat out there and we watched Herm Edwards score like, you know, you can wait. So that was fine. I started going in 87. Actually, the first game I went to in my seats was the 87 game against the Patriots, which is the first ESPN game. And I've actually shown a couple of those clips every now and then on the on the on the Twitter account. Mm-hmm. So I have like a I have a soft spot in my heart for that game because that's the first one I went to. No one else would remember that that game. I mean, the Giants were, you know, like the season went down the toilet right away because they started 0 and 2. They had the worst strike team. So the season was over before yeah, it, was it began. A, it was a bad
0: strike yeah. I I've, I briefly looked into it. it. Was such a bad strike team. It was pathetic.
1: Well, yeah, I mean the the, the you know the um no Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the giants basically signed guys off like loading docks. Like they, they never took it seriously. They didn't, you know um, while the Redskins and like the 49ers were like loading up, like on the best team that they could find, the giants are basically like, we're, we're going to pretend this is not happening. And then they just, they just signed anybody. And you know, you saw like, I mean, I, I posted the highlight of like that one, you know, crazy catch on Monday night football with the 49ers. Like, you know, that, that was like, it and they had it, you know like Edwin Lovelady who because I just remember his name you know making decent catches but otherwise they were just out and out garbage and the Giants had the misfortune of facing the 49ers and the Redskins the two best so they were destroyed in their two games and the last game they had they played Buffalo which is a game that like set the game of football back about 50 years because Lawrence Taylor crossed the the, uh, the picket line and he played in that game and the Bills left tackle literally held him every play. And I think the quote after the game from Marv Levy was like, they can't call holding every play. So just do it. And, <laughs> and th- that's kind of how they handled it. LT played tight end in that game, but um, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so I started going to games in 87, splitting the tickets to my cousin. And over time, you know, for the most part, I go to pretty much like every game, Um, you know, now, like, you know, my cousin may go to one or two, otherwise I go, I go to all the rest.
0: You just mentioned LT. There's such an allure around LT. There's such an allure around Harry Carson. You know, There's even such an allure. We were just talking about Bill Parcells. I mean, there's such an allure around them. And, you know, especially somebody like me, I only know of the allure. Mm-hmm. I, do, I don't know about watching them live. So is there a sense that, or was there a sense that, you know, you're watching LT, you know, the year that he won his MVP, right? You are know, watching LT towards the latter end of his latter end of his career. You're watching him, you know, during like the 1990, 1991 Super Bowl run. You know, are you thinking to yourself at the time that especially let's keep it with LT for now, then maybe we can branch off to some of the other players. Are you thinking to yourself when watching him? This is the greatest football player of, of, of my generation, of our time. This guy is changing the way that we're playing the game of football. Or are you simply just kind of like thinking to yourself, this guy's a really good player and I'm just enjoying watching him? Or is that allure that we kind of think of him and view him with now, was that happening like while he was playing?
1: No, I mean, what I would say with that, with LT especially, is that allure that everyone talks about was very real while he was playing because he was such a larger than life player. And that's one of the things that I, that when I like, and I actually will point it out in a lot of the clips that I'll post and I'll say, here's LT doing this stuff. Like, you know, here's him. And, and everyone remembers him running the, the, um, the interception back on Thanksgiving day in Detroit. But I posted a clip of the year um, uh, of the year after that, where he actually chases down Billy Sims and Billy Sims was basically the Barry Sanders of Detroit before Barry Sanders came, he wore number 20 and he was a great running back. LT chases him down like 40 yards down the field when he's first blocked. And he's doing things which were just something that you just didn't see before. So, you know, when you're kind of seeing greatness and sometimes nostalgia will, will just glaze you over, which is why I like actually posting these old pics, you know, these old videos and stuff, because there's a number of fans such as yourselves who were too young to see, him in action you're like like oh you know this is just some old guy talking about it. it was different in my day i'm like well let's actually show what goes on like you could see him sprinting down the field and making tackles on on punt returns which is something you wouldn't see somebody at 240 245 pounds doing back then the thing that also you have to remember back then also was that um you know there was no internet there was things where you're like monday night football was was it like that was the highlight of the week back then when LT broke Theismann's leg, that's a moment that any foot I mean, forget Giant fan, any football fan can tell you, I know where I was when I saw LT break Theismann's leg. And, you know, they made it a storyline in the Blindside, you know, book and movie yeah, about this yep. thing. So um, when you're watching, and when we we're watching LT, like you, you just, you knew that he was different. And also he was someone who, um, you know, like, you know, he, 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 he led a, a a little bit of a wild lifestyle off the field, you know, and, and, oh. and, and people, people knew it and, and look, let's face it. People look the other way and a lot of stuff with that uh, because on Sunday when he would play, he was a madman and he was the type of person that he would go out there and he was never dirty, but he beat the hell out of these guys. And as a giant fan who grew, who grew up that like you want physical, tough defense, that's what you want. Like, you were watching Lawrence Taylor do this, but doing it at a faster speed, a higher level. He's running over offensive linemen. He's running down things, you know, like J- Joe Gibbs had to change his offense to deal with him. The other thing that helped LT at the time also was Madden and Summerall. Because Madden and Summerall in the 80s did, you know, like they were the top. They were the best announcing crew like you'll ever see. And that's why I love posting clips with them and yeah. pointing out stuff that they did and how they did stuff. Madden and Summerall, they were an event and they would do a lot of giant games because the Giants were number one, the New York market, and number two, one of the best teams in the NFL. So that aligned with them being there. What John Madden said was almost like gospel for people. And John Madden would go out there and he would say, Lawrence Taylor is the best defensive player I've ever seen. Lawrence Taylor's doing things I've never seen before. And he made a comment, he has said it several times, and I've shown it in the different clips. He'd say, I never thought a defensive player could win a football game by himself until I saw Lawrence Taylor do it. So he said, he goes, the only guy close to him. He said, whoever he thought could win a game by himself was Reggie White on defense. Mm -hmm. But other than that, he goes, but he said, he goes, Lawrence Taylor is the only one who's ever done it. So when you're talking about the mystique and everything, we saw it for ourselves and it was, it just jumped out at you. And, and that, that's why it stuck.
0: And it's, I'm, I'm so happy you mentioned John Madden and Pat Summerall because snacks, you know, what we did earlier this offseason is we rewatched every Super Bowl. So we took two weeks since, yes. you know, in Super Bowls, uh-huh. you know, there's two weeks. There's, you know, the, the Pro Bowl that used to be the Pro Bowl week, and then it was the Super Bowl. So we took two episodes, two weeks to do the two Super Bowls one week, the two Super Bowls the next. So we rewatched Super Bowl 21. The whole version's available on YouTube. Uh-huh. And it was Summerall and Matt calling the game. And I was floored. I was floored. You're
2: You're in awe uh, just by I'm sorry to interrupt, Justin, but I I wanted to get that in there, too. You're just in awe of how they call a game.
0: Yeah. And really, even if you just close your eyes and you don't know who they are, you don't know that they're Hall of Famers, you don't know that they're the best of what they do. And you're just watching like these like these guys, they kept you entertained, but they also kept you informed. Uh, BBVCR, they were they were showing... I'm, I'm a big analytics guy. I don't know if you've been following me. I know you've been following me for a little me bit. I don't, I don't know how often you, uh-huh. you, you, you see you see some of the stuff that I post, especially during the regular season. I like to go nuts with the stats. Not so much analytics, but I'm a big stats guy, and I include some analytics, but not too much. They were including next-gen data, like uh-huh. next-gen player tracking data in terms of, you know, looking at John... The, the graphic that they showed to start the second half of Super Bowl 21 is John Elway's passing chart in terms of his zero to five, uh, zero to 10 yards, 10 to 19, 20 plus yards. I'm like, this is next gen data. This is stuff that I crave while I'm watching the broadcast right now that I have to go and manually do or just look online myself to see if I can find it or anybody's posted it. They showed um, a a Bronco defensive lineman, all the snap alignments that he's played. He's played this amount of snaps up the A gap, the B gap, C gap.
1: Carl Mecklenburg. Yep. It was Carl Mecklenburg. I remember. (laughs) Yes,
0: Yes. So you know, that the way that they were and not just them, but I'm sure it was their production team too. the way that they were able to break everything down. It was actually helpful information.
1: Madden, Summerall were perfect. And the, the, the thing about what they brought to the table and you, you touched on it was they were able to entertain sort of the, the layman football fans, the people who just they don't know what they're, they, they you know, They don't know anybody in these teams. But Madden could entertain them with the way he's describing. And yeah, like there's, you know, the boom whap and stuff and the sounds you'd make. So he would do that to entertain. And when he's like, you know, like even Madden was at his best in blowouts because most time blowouts turn into these, these snore fests. Madden can do things where he's like circling the, the Gatorade bucket. And he's like, this is the baby bucket, the mama bucket and <laughs> stuff. And I remember watching when he's doing that. Now granted, like, I'm a giant fan. So I was loving every second of Super Bowl 21, but he was doing things to entertain, but also he would get into the details or he would telestrate. Like he was one of the first that was like actually kind of, you know, telestrating on the screen and drawing lines all over the place. And he's describing that, you know, this is the strong side and you're moving over there. And and he was using terms that were more inside NFL for the more detailed fan, but then quickly pulling back and then, you know, giving the view to kind of make it entertaining. Summerall was the perfect straight man to what he was doing because Summerall would Give his analysis, and when when Summerall's voice would like actually crack or get excited, you knew like <laughs> something big was happening because he idea. would never do it. And I know I've shown the highlight a few times of the the forty nine er playoff game when Banks forces an interception from Montana. Montana mm-hmm. he gets hit, just flings the ball up, and like Herb Welsh picks it off and laterals it to um, uh, Elvis Patterson. The very next play. Joe Morris runs it in for like a 45-yard touchdown. And the basically as soon as the ball snapped, Madden and Summerall understand that the Giants crowd is is in a frenzy. They're getting crazy. The moment the 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 um the line sort of opens up and Morris bursts through. All Madden's or all Summerall says is Morris is gone. He stops talking. He says nothing for a good, you know, 12-15 seconds which is almost impossible to think of today because now announcers feel the need to fill the dead air all the time. They let 20, us the in. 15, yeah. the
2: 10, the, f- yeah, the 5, yeah. the 500 yeah. touchdown bubble yep. like yep. shut up Summerhall like, Summer didn't need it.
1: He didn't need it. He shut like we can see what's going on. here. You're not calling radio. If you're on the radio, yes, do that. But mm-hmm. in the TV medium, we could see it let us feel like we're in the crowd. So he let they they brought you into the game and they were so natural at it. And they like I said, when they were in the, and they were at their a game, the top of their game in the mid to late 80s, which happened to coincide with the Giants run. That's why a lot of Giant fans who are, you know, my age older, who were there for it, identify with Madden and Summer on the Giants, because when the Giants were at their best, Madden and Summer were at their best, and they were the ones that like if you got the two of them you were the you were the game that everyone wanted to see like that was you didn't have to say this is the game of the week or whatever it was like you knew it like the, yeah. they're there they they're the ones so that's how that worked out with Madden and Summerall awesome
0: so awesome. and i love how we compared announcers today in terms of what they do you know what what they do or what they don't do and what Summerall and Madden were doing so one of the things i want to do to kind of wrap up for this week mm-hmm. um is asking you just about a game of football that you stepped kind of used to because let's face it i mean and you you can just interrupt me and tell me if i'm wrong right away i feel like it's very very different it's a very different game compared to the game that was in the late 80s early 90s um versus what's happening right now um one of my favorite stats at really trying to showcase that is in 1985 i believe it was snacks 1985 there was 30 different players with 10 with at least 10 sacks in the national football league yeah in we talked about that last week, yeah. Yeah, in 2020, there was 10 players with 10-plus sacks. So if, if anything, it, you know, it just shows just how different the game is, how different defense is, and it's all about the quarterbacks, you know, getting the ball out of their hands quick and offense and scoring points and stuff like that. So I want to ask you, as you have been a fan and as your fandom has maybe kind of transformed, you know, your Giants fandom and how you've watched games, has your investment, in the game of football also change because maybe it's not the game that you grew up with. Are you as invested into the giants now, or are you invested into the game of football now as you did uh, as, as you were basically growing up and when you started to become a fan?
1: Um, I'd say I'm still invested. I'd say that as you get older and as you've seen in pain week, you know, like I lived all that stuff that, that happened. I mean, you know, I don't take the losses as much to heart as I used to. Like, I mean, I, you know, I, I was catatonic after flipper, you know, for, for a while. I remember when, when Jerry Rice caught the touchdown in 88, I literally just like walked out of my house and I wandered like, you know, I I don't even know what town I ended up in. I was just walking around because I, I just couldn't believe what happened. You know, now I, you know, I'll, I'll watch it. I'll, you know, I'll, I'm invested. I'll get upset by the stuff, but then I kind of like, okay, well, you know, I'm, you know, on the next week, moving on. Like, you know, the, you know, I don't know if it's, if it's just, you know, I've, as, as a giant fan, been there, done that, you know, I, I've, I've, you know, the giants do invent new ways to lose, but I've seen a <laughs> lot of the ways they can do that. So usually I can correlate it back to something else I've seen. And I'm like okay, I, I live through that. I'll live through the next thing onto the next week. Um, but as a you know, from the game of football itself, and when you gave the point of, you know, there's more sacks in 85, the way the NFL was played back then, the focus was the running game. And it was running backs. And that's why teams, they had, you know, like you teams drafting multiple first round running backs. I mean, like the Giants Crazy. drafted back to back, Butch Wolfolk and, uh, and Joe Morris, you know, one, you know, one year. So that's something you couldn't even fathom doing today. Like your GM be fired if you, <laughs> you drafted two running backs in rounds one and two. But back then, everything was the running game. It was running games and defense. And if a quarterback threw for 300 yards, that usually meant they were losing. That usually, because because the focus was was running the ball. Um, Dan Marino, I mean, like before you had Dan Fouts, like with the Air Coriel stuff with the Chargers, that changed that a bit. And and what Marino did, but those guys were sort of the, they were not they were not the norm. Um, the average thing really was running the ball and trying to trying to control it, get a big running back and pound it. Um, the 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 thing you also have to remember back in the eighties when you see the sack numbers, and I pointed out too, and I I showed a, a highlight over the weekend of Leonard Marshall, there was this in the grasp rule, which was something that was hit or miss there. You can just like come close to a guy, put your arms around him a little bit and the refs would blow the whistle. And they say, that's a sack. That's it. And the one was like, he just barely grabbed Elway and, and, and Jerry Mark, The official blew the whistle. That's a sack. Um, back in the eighties, your quarterbacks were pocket passers. The, mm-hmm. the scrambling quarterbacks were few and far between you had an Elway who could run. You know, you had Steve Young, who was not starting all the time, who could run a little bit. Randall changed everything. Yeah, I was about, um, I was about to say yeah, Cunningham, it,
0: especially in 1989, yeah. which we're going to get to in a couple minutes Yeah,
1: Yeah, yeah, Randall changed everything. And and he was like, you know, I like, I, I hated the hell out of the Buddy Ryan Eagles more <laughs> than anything else. But Randall was a guy where it was, you didn't see quarterbacks who were, could be the fastest guy on the field. Like we've right. now seen that, we've seen that with Vic, you know, you know, like, you know, we see what they have with Lamar, you know, like we've seen this with these other quarterbacks. It's not that surprising anymore. Back then you had Ron Jaworski sitting there waiting for LT to kill him <laughs> um, and, and, you know, Neil Lomax and stuff like that. So you had guys who were who just were not going to move. And unless you went the 49er route where they brought in the West Coast offense, where they got the ball out quickly, the, the Bill Walsh method, which is what then kind of has kind of spurred things on more that you yep. see today that was the very beginning back there, like in the eighties with, with, you know, Coriel would throw deep um, the uh, um, Marino with deep. Marino had a fast release. Like there was Marino had some crazy thing where he wasn't sacked for, you know, a ton. I, f- I forget like there, he held the record for the most games in a row without being sacked. I think he was sacked like 10 times one year in Miami. Cause he'd just get rid of it. Um, you know, so, but those guys were the exception. If you were a pocket passer, you're getting sacked 40 or 50 times a year especially if you're you know in in a season uh you know especially if you're losing it's
2: crazy it's crazy how the times have changed
1: yeah yep
0: all right thanks for tuning in this week i know we kind of ended like in the middle of a sentence there but that's because part 2 of this interview maybe like the last 15 minutes or so that's going to air next week We're going to start previewing a book called No Metals for Trying by Jerry Eisenberg. So that's what the month of July is going to consist of. We're going to really get into like the 80s Giants, Bill Parcells, Lawrence Taylor, Bill Belichick, Phil Simms, all those guys. A book that was actually written during the time they were all playing. So I'm really excited for that. I'm really excited for the month of July. I'm excited for you to hear part two of next week. He's going to preview the 1989 season, Big Blue VCR that is. He's going to preview the 1989 season. So thanks for tuning in this week. We will see you next week, and until then, keep on bleeding blue.